And that is Billy Joel with Only the Good Die Young. It's Welcome back to Life MMA in the NBA. I'm your host, DJ San Marco, on a super-duper special UFO-centric podcast where we have a very special guest to go along with our esteemed panel. And don't ask me why I think of broccoli every time I say the word esteemed. I, I can't really answer that question. But who I want to um, introduce to you guys is somebody that has been around the UFO community literally since the 80s. She is the very definition of OG. So party people, put your hands together for New York homegirl from Rockland County, Linda Zimmerman. Yes, Linda Zimmerman, give it up people. Yes. Well, I'm glad I'm wearing leotards and wrestling outfit here to uh start the show for, for your walkout music linda zimmerman yes we're so excited to have you and joining us on the panel tonight is a gentleman who co-hosted with me recently and he was so thoughtful and so brilliant that he blew away myself and andy mcgrillin who uh anybody who's been following ufo twitter of late will be familiar with from that ufo podcast and that is my friend nathan a wave soul. Nathan, how are you, my friend? Good, DJ. Thanks for having me on. Uh, the pleasure is all mine, brother. Uh, and then, so on Twitter, I posted that Linda was coming on, and we had another esteemed person that wanted to join us who's also, like, Rin, uh, like Linda, written a couple of books, and her name is Miss Susan Fenston. How are you, ma'am? Thank you. <clears throat> great, great. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm thrilled. It is a pleasure. You've been involved in UFOs and the paranormal. Nathan and I, I would say we're relatively new. Nathan, how long have you been in the game? You know, not long. As a kid, uh, I had that kind of interest in uh, the, you know, uh, Loch Ness Monster and ghosts and that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, life happened and professional life happened. And that's kind of something you just sort of push to the side. Uh, but in uh, 2016, 2017, that's when I really started paying a lot more attention to the topic. Yeah, definitely. And for myself, too, Linda. So we uh, the first question that I had and we'll kind of just go like in a in a round robin. So everybody gets to ask. But Linda, I'm curious if, if you had a sighting uh, when you were growing up and this is how you got into it. Well, I didn't have a sighting until I was 19, but I was fascinated by UFOs as a kid and, you know, read everything I could get. Um, but certainly the the monumental sighting I had at age 19, um, that, that set a groundwork that I have been able to fall back on. And uh, once you see something completely inexplicable, uh, it just opens your mind for everything else and um did did you would you like to, could you describe that and then we'll go around because i'm going to ask susan if she's had a sighting and and i would also be interested if if nathan had a sighting could you tell us about that sighting sure um i will do it as briefly as possible it's rather involved but i got a call from a friend at a nearby town she's, linda run outside and look something just passed over you know and it's headed your way 
So we ran my boyfriend and his friend. We we run outside. I'm just in my fuzzy red bathrobe <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and slippers. But there are these three round yellowish white lights, craft, whatever they were, um, flying right past. So I'm like, let's get in the car and follow them. That's my immediate, uh, uh, you know this might be once in a lifetime so we jump in the car we drive after this um we watch the lights separate and for some reason i get in my head let's go to this lake lake tiarati mm -hmm. because i had years or you know the frank edwards books uh flying saucers serious business um they were very popular okay. way back when yeah mm -hmm. frank edwards was was uh one of the early writers in this field and he had posted a picture of a sighting that had taken place over lake tiarati so I thought, well maybe lightning will strike twice so we drove up there um probably exceeding the speed limit with <laughs> uh, excessively. And um, we're sitting there at the, at the lake. And sure enough, we see one light come from the south, one from the north, one from the east. And they're on this collision course. And we're like, oh, my God, they're going to crash. Wow. Well, they, yeah, they come together right, you know, so close to us in this blinding blue-green flash and become one object. Now, I don't know what physics allows three objects to become one object, but it lowers to the hilltop right next to us. And at this point, the state trooper comes by. And what is a 19-year-old girl in a bathrobe doing with these two guys <laughs> in, <laughs> in the state park? Uh, so trying not to sound like, you know, I'm somehow impaired. I said, look, turn around and look what we, and he sees this glowing. He, he turns white as a sheet. He says, get out of here, get out of here now. So we get in the, you know, we take off. He blows by us. He didn't want any part of whatever that was up there. So he, he didn't want you to see it. And he didn't want to see it. He just, he was terrified. He right. obviously thought we needed to get out of there for our own safety and for his safety as he well. He didn't want to be there. <laughs> he did not want to be there. He did not want to write a report on this. He didn't want to, I think he was terrified he was going to get abducted. I, I don't know. Did but, you get the sense he had seen one before maybe in the area? I think so, and I've spoken to people at this state park, who caretakers who lived there. They said it happened all the time. They wow. saw these UFOs. So, I believe I think you you hit it right on the head. He patrolled that area every night, and he must have seen or encountered something he didn't want to again. Wow. From the aviator oh, side of me, I would say um, I would just. I'm curious, how big were these? Because they were round, and they were round lights. More, Could you see a physical craft, or were you just seeing like the, a sort of a ball of light, or two balls of light? It seemed to be a glowing physical craft. It okay. wasn't just like a flashlight bulb. Right. Um, it, it seemed to be a roundish, you know, a sphere. I, boy, 
um, I'm, I'm closing my eyes and picturing it now, I would say probably smaller than the wingspan of a Cessna. Okay. You know, single engine Cessna. Mm -hmm. So probably a little smaller than that, but but not by much. And the altitude was? Uh, when first seen, I would say 500 feet. Okay, so yeah, about five times the distance, the, the height of a telephone pole, about. I think, like yes. That. Okay. That's, and this yeah. was right over the water? Uh, it was, it went right over the road by my house um, when we first saw the three of them moving. When we saw them at the lake, they were about the height of the hill, which I can't recall the height of the hill, but I believe it was, I, I looked it up. It was less than a thousand feet and we were probably, oh, I'm trying to picture in my mind's eye. We were probably an eighth of a mile from it. So it is very close and very low. Awesome. Now, what, you said something made you want to go to this lake. Um, is it something that you would like have gone to normally or was it something that um, maybe you had a thought transferred to sort of make you want to go? Yeah, I think or it had. Yeah. The flying saucers were heading in that direction. You just wanted to follow them. Yes. It, as this was the condensed version, what I didn't mention was that um, I several years ago, I, I used to keep a diary. I went back to my diary for that night and was absolutely stunned to find out before we went to Lake Tiarati, we followed these objects to um, was called Lake DeForest and apparently stood there for an hour watching these objects zigzagging back and forth ac across the lake. Wow. And within 48, 72 hours, I don't know. I completely forgot all that. My boyfriend who has practically an eidetic memory, he does not remember that. Um, and it's, it, it's something that became missing time in a way. And apparently a lot more happened at that point, I, I have to admit. And um, I think at that point I received the message. I know that sounds a little, you know, bizarre, but somehow something was in my mind to go to watch what was going to happen. At, the good at thing that you wrote this down, and that's what's very important for mm -hmm. people, if they can have the presence of mind after these intense experiences, if they can remember to just write little notes down. If you don't have a diary, make a little note somewhere and tuck it away because memory is fluid a lot of times. And mm -hmm. The dimmest pencil ink is often better than a memory. And you can recall things that you had completely forgotten about 30 years ago, 20 years ago. So that's important when experiencing this is to, to be able to go back and look at what you wrote down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I call, especially in, in, in ufology, I call it a memory embargo. Uh, great example of family in the 60s, uh, all saw this enormous craft. It was right over their car. 
completely forgot about it till about 20 years later they're sitting down to like a thanksgiving dinner and like a switch went off they all remembered it once so uh wow. yeah particularly when it comes to ufo anything anything paranormal anything bizarre uh yes write it down hmm. that's something i wanted to ask you are there moments in your in your life where you flash back to that time is like maybe you're you smell something or uh somebody mentions something in conversation doesn't ask you directly about that experience does it ever kind of recur to you yeah you know that's interesting i i hadn't thought about that but um when i see a bright light in the sky i'm always brought back to that and i i'm an am i've been an amateur astronomer my entire life so i you know I see a lot of lights in the sky when I'm out and it's something that now that you mention it is really always with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just think, you know, how funny memory can be, uh, smells are associated with, uh, mm -hmm. experiences and, and tastes mm -hmm. for that matter too. Music brings you back to a time, but, absolutely. but, but yeah, no, absolutely. You would think with, uh, with a certain smell, I heard somebody describe, uh, somebody who is an experiencer describe a certain smell that would that, that would bring them back to the craft uh, what it smelled like uh, when they were aboard a craft and I, I found that interesting because I never pondered that thought uh, and what I sent you guys I sent you guys a photo I don't know if you saw that in the chat and the reason I sent you that is because someone this is where I grew up in this place called Peekskill Dude Ranch or Peekskill Ranch as it was later known and that photo shows you where I had my sighting. Uh, hmm. I've described it online uh, after David Fravor and those guys came out. One day I was on my show uh, talking MMA or, or basketball or something like that, NBA. And I said, you know what? I'm going to tell my two co-hosts about this sighting because we were talking about the subject of UFOs. And um, that's where I saw it. So can, can, can you guys see that by chance or no? I'm opening it up. Let me see if I can get it to open. Because that tree line is where the craft appeared above that as I was walking that direction up the driveway. I'm going to open it myself so that I can uh, see okay. it. Okay. Yeah. So you see those trees right there uh, behind the buildings? Well, yeah. that that was my horizon right there. And so that is where um, that's where the craft appeared. If you were about, uh, let's say, two degrees on the compass to the left, where that car is, that's the exact direction I was walking, was up that driveway. Hmm. And, uh, and the craft, I saw it appear above that tree line. And then just, uh, I believe it's uh, to the east, it, it just started moving toward Yorktown Heights and Mohegan Lake and all that stuff. And I know Linda knows where I'm talking about there. I don't know uh, what part of New York that Susan is from, but... Linda knows where I'm talking about. Do you see that, Linda? Um, I am not seeing it. Can you share share I screen with it? Uh, let me see if I can do that. Yeah, I put it. Let's see. Okay. Let's see if I could do that. I gotta figure out how to share screen. I've done that before. Uh, oh, here we go. Okay, so it's right here. Okay. So here, let me just close that. Can you see it now or no? Uh, no. no. All right. I don't know what, I don't know what I did. I put it in the chat. If you see. Oh, you look, okay. Look okay. Let me check. Right. 
Yeah, and you could just double click. Oh, okay. Screen. Yes, yes. Screenshot. Oh. Um, okay. Um, and not not to bore the audience here, because really we're here to talk to Linda and and also with uh, Susan and Nathan. But I just wanted to show you just that 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 tree line formed my horizon. I mm. couldn't see anything past that tree line, and that's where uh, this young man who now he's from Brooklyn. He was up visiting me, and uh, it was probably 82, 83, and uh, right before I moved from New York to Florida, which was the end of ninth grade and the beginning the beginning of 10th grade. Um, so right there, that's where, that's where it was. I saw it appear above that tree line, lit up the whole sky, hmm. and, <laughs> and in Peekskill in the mid-80s, I mean, there's nothing that lights up the sky if it's not 4th of July on a mm -hmm. Sunday night. Uh, wow. Linda knows what I'm talking about, right? Right. Yep. And that's where it appeared. And I just was, I'm not going to use the words I used back then, but you can get an idea like, holy this, and then that's a blanking UFO, man. Like, wow. what, what is that, man? That's, that's a UFO. That's like not an airplane. It's not making any noise at all. And it's lighting up the entire sky. And guess what? The Goodyear blimp doesn't hover over Peekskill on a Sunday night. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so that's Amazing. yeah, that's all that. That's my whole sighting. But uh, Linda, that's life changing. It's not. It's not a little thing. This is a life changing experience. I mean, think about it. Yeah, I've never seen a physical craft, and um, I'm still trying to process why I've been so intensely interested in UFOs. For all this time. I come from New York City, born and raised in Manhattan. It's not a place that you think of for flying saucers, flying around, doing anything, though, the, you know, New York still has a history. Um, but I've always been open to the idea of others, science fiction. I love science fiction. I'm totally open to the idea of extraterrestrial. It doesn't bother me to talk about it. Doesn't, I'm not ashamed to think about it or express that openly. Um, it's 2021. You know, it's time to just really understand, you know, we've come a long way. But um, my experience my, it, with UFOs in being involved goes back to like 1989. And it started with the Weekly World News, which is sort of fitting. It was an ad for a book in the Weekly World News. It was MJ-12 and the UFO cover-up. I, I ordered the book. I got it in the mail the old-fashioned way. I read it in one setting. And that was it. I was bitten. Oh. Bitten hard hard so fast forward just a little bit um i get a job in book publishing and that's where i discovered that i could write to book authors i didn't know that you could write to authors so i was like great the first author i wrote to was john keel i wanted to tell him how much i liked the mothman prophecies this is like 1989 1990 and i wrote him a letter told him how much i loved his book and how interested i was in the subject so he called me up and he invited me to join the New York 14 Society, which was um, his own New York chapter of the Fort, you know, the 14 Society. And we used to meet once a month in the Rug District on the, off Madison Avenue in the 30s. That's and awesome. doing that and being there and going to these meetings and knowing John Keel for the time that I did was, was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I was the youngest person there. And it was just such a diverse group of people. You had housewives, you had plumbers, you had mad scientists, you had people from every strata all there intensely coming for 
talks by Ingo Swan and uh, people about crop circles. And I mean, it went right down into the underground reptilian. So I've been you know, interested in this a very, very long time and still trying to process like where this is coming from. So I don't want to bore you all, but no. just a little background on where I've, where I'm coming from, basically. We're actually going to get into that because we're going to get into extraterrestrial versus ultra terrestrial. And we're going to go around the panel with where you think they're coming from. There's some significant evidence to suggest that they're, they're already here, that they're moving in and out of the water and into the air. And, um, you know, I'll probably kick in a couple of little aviation aspects of it. But I, I didn't talk about it for, I'm trying to think of how many years, except for the young man that I had the experience with. I called him uh, 10 years ago, when I, just before I retired from the Air Force. And the first, one of the first questions I asked him was, did that happen? And he said, yes, that happened. And I hadn't talked to him in 20 years or more, 30, you know, something like that. In any case, I still never told my, my mother, my father, my wife, my brother, nobody until, uh, Fravor until like a few months ago, a couple months ago is the first time. And if, when I was in the air force, I'm positive that if I would have talked about this, uh, to people like that, I flew with, they would have said, you know what? I think DJ needs to go up to the, uh, and go up to the base hospital and probably needs to get checked out. And maybe he doesn't need to fly right now. So mm -hmm. there was no chance I would have brought this up in, in a flying squadron setting. So right. anyway, wow. this lonely is the path. it's a lonely path. It is. It is. But uh, I wanted to uh, or actually, uh, Nathan, do you want to go with your first question for Linda? Mine was kind of going to kind of be on the the transition from research scientist to uh, investigator. But Nathan, go ahead with your your first question, my friend. Sure. Yeah. Linda, really great to talk with you and, and to uh, you know get familiar with your work. And, and there's so much there. Uh, it's been very exciting for me. Uh, being new to this topic, just to kind of comb through it and get my arms around it. So um, I wanted to really kind of ask you more about the the Hudson Valley. And I know that's kind of where you really got your start, um, at least from what I understand. And you, people, you said people were coming up to you and kind of sharing their stories. And, and as you began researching that over the years, I mean, is there anything that you uh, after spending so much time with with those stories, any any kind of conclusions that, that you've come to as to why uh, that particular region is is special in any way? Well, I think it goes much farther back than we probably even imagine. Um, as you've probably seen, you know, from my research, uh, we had an enormous wave back in 1909. So the excuses that, uh, oh, they're here because we have a nuclear reactor. Uh, no. Um, Interesting. Or, <laughs> or, yeah, or because of the power law or because of anything modern, um, you can throw that all out the window. So why were they here in 1909? Um, and then I find little snippets. Of course, they didn't call them UFOs back then. Mysterious airships or strange lights in the sky. You see it in the 1800s. And the earliest in New England, it probably goes back. I think it was uh, Cotton Mather wrote about it or something in the 1630s. So um, why specifically they've chosen this area? 
Um, I have a few theories. There is um, some interesting fault lines here. There, the minerals. Um, we have very uh, strong magnetite deposits, very pure magnetite deposits, and some other things. And so, and the magnetic fields and even the gravitational fields have some anomalies here. So I tend to think that they go to places where they can utilize natural earth energies, kind of maybe they're surfing the magnetic fields or, you know, doing something with, with the minerals. Um, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to pin it down to what attraction it would be for them. And, and that's the best I've been able to come up with. Hey, mm-hmm. Linda, be- before I pass it over to, and if you have a follow-up, I'm going to give you that. I just have one thing to say to Linda relative to what she just said. Cannot both things be true, Linda? Can they not be, in, can they not have seen a danger for those particular craft that came to, that were hovering over nuclear sites and then different craft or different beings from a different place have been here in 1909 for a different reason. Certainly, or it could be the same ones um, who just became even more fixated because of our Indian Point nuclear reactor. And there's one area, um, I, I don't know if you remember Tuxedo Park area? No. Oh, very exclusive gated community. Um, big, big bucks there. But a lot of you, yes. Oh, filthy Beautiful. rich. <laughs> um, yes. Um, <laughs> The um, there was a lot of sightings there over the years, and it turns out that Union Carbide had built a oh, just a small nuclear reactor. <laughs> so, you know, um, it you just did a little one, and it was uh, you know, perfectly safe till they found out it was leaking for years and it must have been, you know, right into the reservoir of the nearby community. Um, So if you are sensitive or you have sensors for radioactivity, this area must have stuck out like a sore thumb. Um, So I absolutely believe there is a connection between you know certainly we've seen it with uh nuclear missile sites and and uh you know reactors and things indian point there were enormous uh craft hovering 20 feet over the reactors you know and the uh more yeah. than once, more than just that. More once. than more than once, okay. and at one point they uh, they were all all the guards were instructed to grab their shotguns and run out there. And once they got out there, like we're not shooting. At yeah, this thing. yeah, this thing's gonna <laughs> shoot me. I've seen enough space movies. This is not happening right now. I am not. This is not happening. I'm so, I'm sorry, Nathan. Did you have a follow up before we pass it to uh, our friend Susan? Oh, yeah, I wanted to ask uh, the the activity that you've described. It it um, it almost strikes me as it's uh, it doesn't care. It's not concerned with the the life that that's there, the the human life or animal life or what have you. Um, that it is more focused on the you know geological features or as you said the magnetic fields or is that a could that be a fair characterization or are there I'm, are there a lot of stories of real 
interaction with uh, with li living things, not just reactive experiences, but them having full on contact. I, I think I think that is a fair assessment that for the most part, they have their spots they want they seem to go to regardless of the human activity but also with the massive wave uh, of the 1980s it was also a massive wave of abductions hmm. so um oh. we have a lot going on yeah those are the voice you're hearing right there is the dulcet tones of none other than linda zimmerman also joining me is my friend a wave soul nathan from ufo twitter and we have been joined tonight, we are honored to be joined by uh, publisher, author Susan Fenston, and she has the next question. My dear, please. Well, that big sigh and groan you heard from me was what, when you talked about the big wave of abductions, because that seems to go hand in hand with their presence here. You know, it's this un... It's irrefutable at this point. I mean, if we're all here at this point discussing this subject, uh, Linda, I wanted to ask you, after the wave and, and after the wave of abductions, which is an ongoing phenomenon, um, what, what is the activity like now, like in the last, let's say, 10 years? Like, well, can you give us a sense of what, what's going on in that area? Yeah. Sure. I, I'd say it's been picking up the last nine, eight or nine years or so, uh, not to the 1980 levels by any stretch. But certainly um, where you can count on uh, a regular stream of reports. I, um, I just spoke with Chris DiPerno, who's um, the, the, uh, of New York MUFON, and he, he's getting swamped, swamped with, of course, all across New York. They can't keep up with it. If anybody wants to be a MUFON investigator, all hands on deck. They really need them because of so many sightings in the area. Wow. Interesting. Uh, and that's why uh, you're not part of the organization anymore, I take it? No, I never was. I okay. have uh, always my, maintained my lone wolfhood. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It goes it goes way back um, to when I was just starting out writing, and I was going to write an article about a local historical event from a couple of hundred years ago, and I was thinking of joining the local historical society, and I was told by someone in the historical society, "Well, if you join the society, you can't write about that." I'm like, well, why not? Because that's one of our board of directors' great grandfather or something, and you, and at that moment, I said, I am not joining anything because <laughs> I am not going to carry the baggage um, and have the restrictions of any of these organizations. Yep. I, I, yeah, I work with MUFON. I love MUFON. I am not a MUFON member. Linda's the one who went goes in front of the condo board and goes, you're not going to judge whether or not I want to live here because I'm leaving in my own house. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, um, so... Can I ask one more yes, follow-up question, please. if that's okay? If you don't yeah. mind me sneaking one in. Not I, at I, all. Not at all. It's open I am form. such a UFO Twitter nut. I'm, I'm old to UFOs, but I'm new to UFO Twitter. I've got like 30 tabs open on my... times. <laughs> <laughs> so I do a few um, there's a documentary coming out by HBO 
next month, I think, about the Hudson Valley. Has anybody heard about that? What? No. Yeah, let me read you the... Hold Is it J.J. Abrams? Uh, let me take a quick look. I read it on Dread Central, and it's called Alien Invasion Hudson Valley. Oh, hmm. my goodness. Wow. Well, it can't be legitimate if Linda's not on there, so right. we don't even need to watch, okay? Forget I'll just that. Read you, I'll just read you the quick description. I, I thought you all would have known Please. about this. I'm always the last of the party. Alien Invasion Hudson Valley is an all-new shock doc being released by Discovery on August 15th. Not only dives into the revelation of the existence of the UFO phenomenon, it follows an in-depth investigation into eyewitness accounts and spine-tingling encounters with extraterrestrial phenomenon. And the tilt is that it's it's like scary and, and it's going to be scary, scary. That's what it looks hmm. like. This might be one of the um, projects I turned down. I probably turned down a lot more uh, than I accept, but I would be interested to see what this is all about. Um, Can I put the link in the chat? Is that how it Please, absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh -huh. uh, I mean, I might watch it, but the fact that Linda's not on there does sort of <laughs> steal from the credibility just a little bit. Uh, but if I were to see... Linda knows by, you know, what a homer I am. So if I even see a glimpse of Westchester County, Rockland County, I'll just lose my mind. I just love it. So because we're going to we're going to get to it later at the end of the podcast. But it, there's going to come a point where I'm going to ask Linda for next summer when I go to swim across the Hudson, when I arrive in Rockland County, if she'll shove me into the water and then I'm going to swim to Westchester County. So that's I, my. I'd be happy to. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Wear a GoPro and guess in case the tic tac shows up, we want the footage. I I will. I, you know what? I am willing to even wear a GoPro, uh, because when I get in the Hudson, I've swam across the Hudson the last two summers, and wow. I have such energy when I get in that water. I don't know if that's from Indian Point, Linda. I have no idea, <laughs> or it's just because I'm at home. But there's nothing. That I'm serious. The time. The t I swam across like in 43 minutes and I've never swam 1.3 miles that fast in any of my swims ever. That's amazing. So there's just something about the Hudson that just does it for me. Anyway, um, Linda, from research scientists, was there a moment when you said, uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to stop doing this and transition to investigating something that, that obviously touched your life? Well, it was a it was a two step transition. Um, the The research lab I was working for um, was bought by another company, and they closed us. They closed us down. And I thought, well, maybe now's the time I should try writing because I always thought it was something I would do eventually. And um, I didn't start writing about UFOs or the paranormal. I started writing about local history. But people started asking about it, and I always had that fascination and that experience. Um, so it was a very simple transition for me to um, make that part of what I was researching and writing, and then it kind of consumed <laughs> my life. <laughs> it, it really is so engrossing that I don't really want to talk about I, – I find it almost inane – to talk MMA now to some degree or NBA because of all that's come out. 
and I think Nathan's going to get into that later. Uh, but it, just to ask you, because there's just been a potpourri of of uh, since uh, uh, the three Tic Tac Gimbal and GoFast videos have come out and been uh, authenticated by the Department of Defense that now it's cool to talk about UFOs. I think me and a colleague were talking about you uh, today when I was driving home, and uh, and uh, I was just like, wow, okay, like Linda was doing this way before it was cool, and and <laughs> Susan as well, for that matter. Uh, now, so. <laughs> I beg to differ. It was cool then? <laughs> back then. <laughs> People just didn't realize how cool we were. Yeah, no doubt, man. (laughs) Go ahead, Nathan. What do you have, brother? Yeah, so that uh, your your trajectory is it's really interesting, and this conversation has made me think about the the way in which our our all of our lives, the aperture of our of our sort of experience, generally narrows as we get older. Uh, When you're young, it's under you're, you're kind of taking things in. It's wide open, and there's a lot of experiences that people uh, talk about, they happen when they're younger. And I wonder, uh, you know, as a researcher in this field, how do you kind of maintain that, that, that openness uh, to things as you continue to go through all of these different stories and experiences? How do you allow yourself to kind of stay fresh and not get jaded from uh, the, you know, yet another story about XYZ? How does that keep you going? Yeah, I think the jading part came when I worked for industry, uh, you know, as a as a research scientist. Um, it was so stifling because, you know, you're working to make money for the company. And I was like, no, I, I need to do what I want to do. So it was so freeing mm. to to come to be a researcher and, and, and writer and all these different topics. And... I am perpetually fascinated and there's always something new or yes, I've heard a thousand black triangle stories, but it seems like everyone has their own little take on it. Some little detail that I hadn't, I hadn't heard before. Um, So there's just so much out there and there's, it's not like I understand it. Mm -hmm. It's not like I have a grasp on it. So um, it's it's a constant adventure to try to understand as much as possible. Right. It, it's almost as if uh, the phenomena itself is this invitation to to the beyond. It's this calling of the participant to a, a wider experience. And there are people who will answer that invitation, such as yourself, very affirmatively mm-hmm. like let's keep going after this let's keep chasing that and have that adventure and then there are others who just maybe their natural instinct is to kind of shut that down because you know i got to pay the bills or whatever it is um, it's interesting that people kind of fall into those two camps yeah i i feel lucky every day of my life because um it's like what am i going to discover today or who's going to tell me another fascinating story so it's it's 
it's fun. <laughs> Linda, you you are truly the Frank Sinatra of the UFO community. <laughs> you you said no to MUFON. You said no to the Historical Society. You said I'm doing it my way. You know what I that's, mean? So that's funny because I always said if uh, I love baseball, if I could play professional baseball, you know, the walk up mm -hmm. song would have been my way. So you nailed it. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. The last guest that I had. The last uh, basketball podcast I did was a coach from SUNY New Paul's who went, who was one of my classmates at Hendrick Hudson High School in '85, and his. I said, "What song do you want?" And he wanted Frank Sinatra. So there uh, you go. I, actually, I think he asked for New York, New York, though it wasn't my oh, way. Oh so yeah, sorry. no. So okay. I'm not a huge Frank Sinatra fan, but my way is. Uh... The, the next time <laughs> Linda is on the show. Frank Sinatra will be her walkout music. Um, but no, and uh, let, let me pass it over to uh, Susan for her next question. And then I think we got to dive into some ghosts because anybody who would go and stay in these haunted houses like the Lizzie Borden house is 100% badass in DJ's book. Go ahead, please, Susan. Um, I, I'm sure if we were all sitting down together in a pub, I could have, I'd have a million questions. Oh, man. Um, I guess what I'd like to get a feeling about is what what were your thoughts when you first laid eyes on it the first time? Were you overwhelmed by the, the, the beauty of it? Or did you feel afraid right away? I mean, can you describe like some of the impressions and the sensations that, that you experienced? Exhilarated. In, in a word, exhilarated. The fact that, you know, on a cold December night in my bathrobe, I wanted to jump in my car and, you know, and go after this thing. And even when we saw it uh, land on the hill, I, I was not dressed for hiking. I wanted to run up to the, you know, the hill and see this thing close up. Um, I guess I had always known of the existence. I, I never doubted it. And to see it, to actually see it, like I said, it was like a one in a million chance or, you know, once in a lifetime opportunity. And I wanted to see it, learn from it, ask it a million questions, whatever it was. Did you think about us as a species and the world differently after having this experience? Um, the, the only thing I think I the way I saw the world differently was how is everybody so blind to this? Uh, because it's been happening around the world for so many generations. Yeah. And like you had said previously, these are life altering uh, experiences. And I think we're getting to the point now where enough people have had these life altering experiences that it should be making a difference on the, you know, on the group consciousness of the world, I hope maybe that maybe it is, and that's why the you know the Navy's coming out with these things. I I don't know. Lou, Lou Elizondo talks about that, and he talks about how should it show because he's very apolitical. He said he did not vote his entire military career nor his civilian career in the Pentagon. He didn't vote, and it's because he wanted to be impartial, and he just feels like we all have a lot more in common than we are different. And, you know, relative to, I, I don't know what made me think of sacrifice. Actually, when, 
when Nathan said aperture, it made me think of Mick West trying to to trying to understand the Atflir camera on the FA eighteen <laughs> like an idiot, like he doesn't know anything. But um, but Lou Elizondo sacrificed big time for this. He gave up a GS fifteen salary. Now I don't know if he was at step one or step ten, but GS fifteen is as high as you can go in government civil service, and he not only gave up that paycheck, which is he's you know in the area of probably let's just say from back then about one hundred and forty something thousand dollars in twenty seventeen. He also gave up a retirement check for the rest of his life. And that is real dedication to transparency. And I think everybody needs to recognize that. That's real. And when you talk about, uh, you know, Linda basically gave up her career to pursue this. You know, she didn't know that she was going to be able to make a living doing this. Did you, Linda, when you when you left? No, 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 no. I didn't. I didn't think it was possible. I said, I'll try this for a while and I'll, you know, go to back to the lab eventually. And then... Um, years later i'm like hey i never put the lab coat back on so it was a surprise to me but if you have a passion for something and you put all of your energy behind it you'll make it work but it it takes a certain bravery i mean i can tell you i mean like i i i really really want ufo transparency from our government but i wouldn't i i I wouldn't give up my career like lou did i mean I, i can't say that i would do that i mean I'm brave enough to get shot at and go to war and stuff like that, but I'm not brave enough to give up my career for it. But he did. So, um, yeah, giving up a pension. Yeah. Giving up a pension that is about as dedicated as you can get. Yeah. I mean, that's for the, I I tell people, they say, oh, well, he has a 401k. You know, the government has something called TSP. I'm like, forget about TSP. That's a four. It's not, it's a 401k. The government retirement, as long as he's breathing, he's getting a paycheck if he's 95, he's still getting paid. That hmm. never ends until you die. So that's what Lou, Lou Elizondo gave up in pursuit of transparency on UFOs, of which he has seen videos that we have not seen and may never see. I pray that we'll see them, but we don't know that. So, Yeah, I believe he recently mentioned something about a 23-minute video that yes. should be released in the next month. That I'm looking forward to. He's putting a lot of pressure on them. Yeah. He's putting a lot of pressure on them because now they have to answer questions about that. Mm-hmm. Now John Greenwald is going to FOIA that. <laughs> oh, mean, yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure a lot of people are, are yeah. rambling to get info on that. Absolutely. Um, Linda, I want to talk about a person who would sleep in a haunted house. <laughs> and I want to find out, have you ever been scared that an entity would follow you home um i have been followed home oh my god (laughs) i I know you're scared now susan don't try to hide it you're i try to you haven't heard my experiences yet okay go ahead you're next then go ahead linda um, I always try to be cautious and, you know, do mental cleaning, cleansing, even to the physical point when I get home, all the clothes go in the wash, I take a shower, I, you know, say nothing, follow me home. But uh, just 
just briefly, um, I had a very intense, disturbing investigation at a suicide site, which I, I, I mean, I really connected much more than I wanted to. Very upsetting. And the next day, we had to get a plumber in, and I'm in the basement with the plumber, and we clearly hear heavy footsteps on the floor above us. And I'm thinking, oh, I know who that is. And he's like, is anybody here with you? I'm like, nope, we're alone. And he's like, well, didn't you hear that? Yeah, it must be the floorboards created. He goes, that's oh somebody walking. And two minutes later, the, the walking again, he grabs his biggest wrench and runs upstairs to mm-hmm. attack the intruder. And absolutely nobody's there. He comes back down, freaked out. What was that? What was that? Gee, I don't. No, you know, I don't want to. He was a good plumber and I w- w- he never came back. <laughs> Your level of bravery. I mean, we just talked about Lou Elizondo and his bravery. Now you're seeing Linda, who has a similar bravery. But I don't even know if Lou would go to one of these haunted houses. Susan, just take take us somewhere where I'm not going to think about Linda being followed home by like something from The Conjuring. Go ahead, please. Well, I moved in with a ghost. And what? yeah, I... I've lived in a lot of old buildings in New York City. I've old tenements, old, old buildings, history. But this has only happened to me once. So it's not like I see dead people everywhere I go. I don't have that. Um, I moved into this apartment on the south side of Williamsburg. It was uh, 1986, 1987. And sort of right away, I started hearing footsteps at night pacing the floor of the apartment and it was always like right before I'd write, just about asleep. I'm hearing the pacing. And then it graduated into pounding on the walls. Like if you picture the strongest guy you can imagine, hitting the wall with everything he's got. And just, it was that kind of intense. Like fl- like fleshy on a concrete, are we talking like a concrete wall? Like here? a plaster wall. Plaster wall, uh-huh. With the brick behind it, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. she it was really old and you know you could feel the the intensity and the like that like the emotion behind it so you know it's one of those things where like you're not running from the house screaming you're just living your life this is where you live Uh you know what you're gonna do and uh the previous tenant came by to pick up her window gates for the Uh fire escape and i was like fine take them i don't like gates so while (laughs) said have I, I said, have you ever felt any anything strange in this apartment? And she said, well, I never have, but my boyfriend did. And he thought there was evil in the apartment. And he brought candles and palm crosses and put them around the apartment because he felt there was evil present. So mm-hmm. a little while forward, no one's believing me. Nobody believes me at all. They think I'm completely nuts. So boyfriend stays over. He's a little bit nuts, but at least he was a witness. And- <laughs> about to go to sleep and we both heard at the same time we both shot up in bed at the same exact time and stared at each other from the living room out of the air came sounds of heavy chains rattling like ship's chains like huge Mm -hmm. metal rattling and then this long agonizing moaning just moaned out and it kind of rolled like a fog okay susan so at this point you're not grabbing your purse grabbing your slippers and running screaming into the new york city night no why 
I lived with him for a while, and I I looked at him, and he looked at me, and it was like our two eyeballs just staring at each other. He's like, I'm going to go see what it is. I was like, don't. I don't want visual confirmation. I don't want the visual to go with the sound. To go with the sound. Can, can I ask you something, Susan? Yeah. Do, do you think that there are people that are, and I'm sure Linda's going to chime in on this as well. Do you think that the way you reacted, like it's trying to scare you or test you, and when you prove that, okay, you're not scaring me, I'm not leaving, is there that, is that happening or is that not a thing? It feels like a person. Okay. It, a person. I mean, I felt it was male and it... It seemed I was going through hell. My sister had just died. So mm -hmm. I was going through like, some serious grief. And of course, everyone thought it was related. Like, oh, you must be losing your mind because of mm -hmm. But it started three weeks before my sister died. So it wasn't like it happened after and I was just losing it. It was something that had begun in process and I was living with it. Um, I had to live there. And I, I felt that I, it kind of felt sorry for me. I felt that it was watching me cry and die my life through this, you know, losing my sister. I felt that it felt sorry for me. <clears throat> so that was the kind of feel, I didn't, I didn't want to be around it. It definitely tests your, your reliability on yourself to figure out what's real and what's not. Like every day, like the sun comes up, the sun goes down, everything's normal. But when you see something like that, you almost go into like a kind of a trance. You're, you're, you're trying to process it. You're not like running for the door. Though I think some people would. Yes, no doubt. It was just something that I found very interesting, but very trying and, and very unsettling. Um, but you, you stayed there. You didn't move. I moved out. Like I only stayed there for six months. There was a lot of problems with the building. It was, it was a drug central. Mm -hmm. It was a firehouse. It was a ghost. Or, you name it. I could check everything that was wrong. So... I moved out, but <clears throat> I was glad I had that experience. And I think it, what it ties into is after I came back from Arizona, I went to out to the Southwest for a month and a half. And I stayed in Tucson, Arizona, house sitting and always being the space mind. I was like always watching the stars and always wondering. And I think that I might've had some kind of a download experience while I was in the desert, because when I came back, I became very psychic like ridiculously psychic. And I also had this incredible dream where I was on board somewhere and I was being given an immense amount of knowledge and information. And like Linda, I went back to my diary and read my entry because I used to write down my dreams all the time. And this mm -hmm. one dream I actually painted. It was so intense and so unlike any other dream I had, I had to paint it to preserve it and I wrote about it in detail in my diary. So 20 years after that, just, mm -hmm. you know, like a few years ago, I, I pulled out my diary from 1985 and I read it. And like you, Linda, there were parts in it that I completely forgot, you know, like th where I detail this other person who was on board too, who I described in my own interpretation as an Asian woman wearing a all body nude stocking. Okay. So... I thought about that and I thought, wow, that's a strange thing. And to interpret it in such a way, it almost seems like a, um, one of those mask memories in a way. So I'm still trying to understand what happened. I don't make any like real solid claims mm -hmm. about this, 
but something is drawing us all into this. And we are active living participants in this garden of wonder. And we are a part of it just as it is a part of us. So I'm still trying to process my whole reason for being here and what my approach is. It's endlessly fascinating, sometimes terrifying, um, but I can't let go. It's the most interesting thing that there is. It is I'll tell you what, and it, it's, it's awesome to be uh, part of this community because we're pondering the biggest question that there is in the world, which is, makes everything seem so minuscule, is uh, are we alone? Obviously, we're all fairly certain in this group that we're not alone, that there's something else out there. But here's what we're going to do. I didn't, I didn't ask uh, Linda to stay more than an hour, so everybody's going to get a last question, and we'll try to make them sort of quick hitters so we can get them in because we, we haven't even talked about extraterrestrial versus uh, ultra-terrestrial, etc., so Nathan's going to lead us off and we'll all get like a final question. So please go ahead, my friend. Thanks. Yeah. So Linda, um, after all your experience with this and, and in light of the way things have changed, I think in the public, uh, you know, sphere in the sector, since, uh, since this has become much more of a mainstream topic, you know, where, where do you see this going from here? And I think in, in light of Susan's story too, um, how do we chart a course into the future where we can, uh, better, I think, merge these uh, human experiences. We have this very kind of materialist way of looking at, at our at our lives right now, a Western sort of civilization way of looking at things and reductionism and that kind of stuff. And we have these lived experiences that just don't fit inside that box. I mean, how would you suggest that we, uh, you know, kind of chart our path ahead uh, and, and, and go into a future where we can better talk about this? Well, I Amazing think science, yeah, excellent. Uh, I think the scientific community needs to bridge that gap. Um, we can't rely on the government to be truthful. Um, and the, as, as many hundreds, thousands, millions of people who have experiences, they will not be taken completely seriously until is, there's that scientific validity that, um, as I said, will we'll bridge, the, bridge the gap to the future there. Um, and every day, more and more scientists are getting on board with, okay, there's something here. Um, and we need to put resources toward, you know, not just throw money at it. We need brains. We need, an, you know, uh, professors and scientists and engineers to look at this rationally and you know they we always say there's no textbook for this well maybe in the next hundred years we will have that ufology textbook what what avi Loeb is advocating for essentially bringing the best sensors the best minds the best equipment to to measure hmm. uh for for scientists to just to use nathan's word open their aperture to how we can we can collect data and then analyze it uh you know maybe aboard i think he suggested at one point if if you had scientists aboard a navy ship to where they could mm -hmm. uh take readings on using whatever's the best equipment out there and i don't i don't know that we know what that equipment is but i think that's what you're advocating what avi Loeb said is that right 
Definitely. Um, more and more scientific groups, universities. Um, there just needs to be, this needs to be taken seriously and studied in every way, shape, and form. Yes, and I got news for you, those that think that you don't have civilians on Navy ship, on Navy ships, you do have government civilians on Navy ships, and you can certainly have uh, scientists that are aboard Navy ships to collect. And uh, I believe that, I'm, I just want to say one thing, I don't know if you heard uh, Lou Elizondo respond to this question. Someone asked him, um, has the government tried to actively draw in or lure, if you will, and make contact with this phenomenon? And he gave a one-word answer, yes. Hmm. So knowing that means that they probably have analyzed geographic locations, uh, different types of vessels, and who's having the most encounters. And so, you know, perhaps you could have uh, scientists that are being contracted by the government aboard these ships to to gather data if it becomes available you know so anyway yeah i have the fall available if uh <laughs> <laughs> if there's any ship who's looking for linda zimmerman <laughs> aboard the nimitz yes right. sign me up i love it uh i don't as long as she's there to push me in the water i'm okay if she goes and does a, a tour on a ship i don't care i'll push you off All the right. nimitz too if that'll help <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot. I'll tell you what. None of the gear that I wear to swim will be on my body after falling from that thing. Uh, <laughs> my snorkel and my mask and all that. All right. So Linda, uh, as 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 I said, we're gonna do like a quick hitter. I'm gonna do one. We'll give uh, one to Susan, and then I'll I'll wrap it up. But I wanted to ask you a, a two parter. One is, what was it? that made you actually it's this is going to be there's going to be three parts to this question so i'm i'm hogging linda a little bit sue, <laughs> sue me okay nathan all right <laughs> oh i will i know you will i can expect i'll, I'll, I'll testify in your i'll testify in your behalf nathan <laughs> perfect <laughs> all right so linda what is it that made you want to investigate the paranormal and ghosts because i'm assuming that happened after ufos incorrect um, okay. i was investigating uh the the paranormal for many years previously and um it it came along i was giving a lecture on local history and people started asking about ghost stories and i i knew one at the time and told it and i started getting calls are you the ghost lady oh. i'm like no, we hear you give a ghost talk. I'm like, who said that? And it, I, I have no idea this took on a life of its own. And uh, people would send me their house keys and say, we're going to be away for a week. Could you go? I'm telling you, it was it was done for me. It was all, you know, people like, how did you get into places? Are you kidding me? They, people, you know, yeah. they practically sent a chauffeur to get me there. It was just, it was just amazing. So what happened was, you know, I always had the interest in UFOs, but it seemed like every time I gave a lecture on UFOs or anything else, uh, excuse me, um, ghosts or history, what? people would come up and tell me their UFO story. I'm like, well, why are you telling me that? You know, I, I just gave a lecture on, you know, 
it's the civil war and they're like no you you need to look into this you know they they kind of creeped me out you're the per- person who should look into this and i'm like well why are you saying that you know it was it was very weird it was and so then i went into the you know the the research of the ufos but this this was not only effortless it was unavoidable really it was just put in my path and i went with it okay second and and that is totally understandable because i'm fascinated with it although i i don't have i think we talked about this on the phone i used to really want to stay in a haunted house and now as i get older for some reason i'm i'm a little worried about that but that being said uh the second part of this three-part question is which uh paranormal investigation scared you the most I would think that would be the um, there's a hotel in Ellenville where I uh, there was a was used for bootlegging back in the 30s. And I was down in this secret room. And as you know, where they did the bootlegging and you know what that entailed. And as I'm trying to climb up this little ladder out this little little uh trap door into the coat closet because that's where it was hidden wow um i honest to god felt these hands on my legs trying to pull me back down oh oh wow and i i i'm i'm covered in goosebumps as i even recall it now that was terrifying it was like something was trying to pull me back down into the room and i jumped out of there I pull, I mean, I hoisted myself out of there. I'm trying to rub my legs, get the feeling. My legs were tingling for like an hour afterwards. Um, so that, that there had been other personal attacks, but, but that was uh, about as up close and personal as you get. Wow. Now I'm rethinking this whole thing about sleeping in haunted houses, but I'm going to get, I'm going to, when we do a second podcast with Linda, I'm going to talk more (laughs) about this, about me uh, tagging along uh, for an investigation with her, perhaps when I'm in New York. Uh, So the third part of this question is about the murder investigation. Did that come by virtue of your partner uh, being in law enforcement and and to that, oh, somebody's wanting to enter, but I don't. I can't let anybody in now, just because we've gone, you know, we've we've gone too long. Um, uh, but I wanted to uh, ask you about that. Do you connect with these victims? Uh, do you? Does it hurt when you when you do these murder investigations? At paranormal murder investigations no, or but my you, true you, crime yeah true crime yeah true, true crime, crime. Yes, i i i do speak to uh the victims families when i can and it is always devastating i it, the the loss the sense of loss um and anger these people feel is uh, and, and rightly so um it's always heartbreaking when I do, but it's the best way to get a perspective on the impact of, of uh, a murder, how many people it actually affects. So I think it's, it helps my ability to tell the story of the case when I can speak to the, the families and friends. Yeah. And uh, that, th- that would, uh, 
because there was children involved in one of them that you did recently, I believe. Was it a 10-year-old? Um, or was it the, the girl from the library? The, was oh, it the Pearl yes. River Library? Yes, Paula Bohaveski. Um, yeah, I grew up in Pearl River, and that one, I, I used to go to the library and walk right past there all the time. So that's horrific. Yeah, both of her, she was... Um, brutally assaulted raped and murdered and both of her murderers are now free men right no. that the sentences were un were were very light i heard your description of that and i just was like linda must feel something when when she does this because she there was one you were talking about the the, the young lady who was killed out on the lake around the turn of the century yes right um i i don't know just they're very they're very creepy, and you do an amazing job. How did you get into that line of, of uh, inquiry? Well, yeah, um, my ghost hunting partner uh, was a police detective. He's recently retired, a police officer. And when we'd go on these, you know, we'd drive up to Buffalo and on the long drive, you know, for an investigation, we'd talk about different murder cases. And I always said to him, you know, you really need to write a book about this. And um, I had researched so many in the local history, I finally said, you know what, I'm going to write a book about this. And we both decided to do the podcast uh, together. And he's working on several uh, murder books individually now. So it was, it, yeah, it really came out of my research into local history and speaking with him um you know the actual homicide investigations he worked on mm -hmm. wow um that 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 makes sense i mean it seems so natural i mean it reminds me of amy allen and her partner that uh, new york city retired detective you guys are like a mirror image of those two um joining us really quick i just want to say hello to dave falch dave falch uh was a prior uh, u.s navy pers uh, personnel he worked on the sensor suite, the Atflir that is a, was aboard the FA-18. He's been uh, uh, doing a lot of podcasts. Can you hear me, Dave? No? Uh, Dave's on mute. Did I mute Dave? Let me unmute him. Let me see. Uh, ask to unmute. Okay. Dave, are you there? Oh. Okay. Dave was recently on with Andy, I believe. Is that correct, uh, Nathan? Yeah, that's right. It was a great show. Okay, yeah, I thought that Andy was talking to him. I don't know why I can't hear him. Let me see if I can unmute him. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. D Dave is... Okay, Dave left. Okay, well, we had him for a second. Anyway, I thought he might want to ask you something. Dave is uh, uh, extremely knowledgeable on the uh, the inner workings of the Atfleer, and he hmm. did well to, to also debunk uh, Mick West and uh, explain how it works uh he realized mick was sort of trying to use some of his knowledge uh exploiting it to try to debunk the navy guys and uh um if you guys uh follow chris leto on uh ufo twitter he was a retired f-16 pilot lieutenant colonel chris leto and he'll explain to you how the system works and that um, yeah chris is great i just heard him yeah. uh the other night on podcast ufo and clear concise and um just really what we needed to hear 
what the truth is about these systems and their capabilities. Yeah, and I, I actually spoke with a couple pilots the other day. Just to tell you my background real quickly, I had about 13 years in uh, special ops aviation with the Air Force. I was a flight engineer, not a pilot. I sat in between the pilots, but kind of like a Wizzo, you know, or a CISO, you know, some of these other backseaters. That's kind of similar to what my job would be. But I know who are the best in the world at evaluating air-to-air -air threats and aerial engagements and fighter pilots. And I had, I got agreement from other special ops pilots the other day. Those guys are the best in the world at that. It's just quite that simple. So when David Fravor explains what he saw and when you go through flight school and understand aviation, then how extraordinary the Tic Tac is will resonate more than if you have, when you haven't, you don't understand how airplanes fly which is why I explained to somebody earlier, two people this week, the reason they call it un, um, unidentified aerial phenomenon is because what these things are doing is not flying, as we understand flying. They're moving through the, through the air, but they're not following our laws of physics, Newtonian physics, Bernoulli's theorem, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, uh, my friend, Susan, please have the last question with Linda. That's a tough question to follow. Um, have you been, Linda, contacted after your experiences um, by any government people asking you questions or... Great question. Or whatever, you know, we all know that there's a sort of a men in black phenomenon that tends to follow these things, which we've racking our brains over for decades, like what are they, what are they? I have my own theories, but my theories I'm constantly scrapping and then picking them up and looking them at again. And, you know, it's just, it, we're all in this rabbit hole together. But have you ever had any like tapping on your phone or any government surveillance or any odd experiences like that? I haven't had anything overtly, but I have had, um, it seemed when I first started writing the first book um an awful lot of clicking on my phone and uh calls wow. dropping off and um actually um a whole four hours of transcribing an abductee's story was gone off my computer and it said i erased it when i wasn't even in the room um and the very we made a film and the very first person we filmed was a lifelong abductee in fact multi-generational and um we filmed him in my living room <laughs> and i'm like what what have i let in my house <laughs> um it was it was fascinating but scary and he left the film crew left and when my husband came home i said oh i gotta tell you about the you know i'm starting to tell him and this van with blackened windows pulls into the bottom of our driveway. Now, the street I live in, I, you know, we used to joke that you could take a nap in the street because so <laughs> nobody's come. nobody comes. And I'm like, what is this person? And so I'm starting to talk. And then I'm like, no, I turn and I said, I'm not going to say another word till you leave. You know, like I'm, I'm suddenly so filled with paranoia that somebody's sitting there listening or just trying to intimidate my husband's getting all 
you know, testosterone up and he's like, I'm getting out, going out there and see what he, and he opens the door and I'm like, you have no idea who that is. So yeah. I pulled, you know, I pulled him back and I just stood at the picture window with my arms crossed and said, I'm not saying another word. And uh, they finally, they finally pulled away. I have no idea who it was, but the film crew who was there that day, they said that weekend they were in their yard and they had these two like SUVs with blackened in windows slowly go back and forth in front of, of their house. And, you know, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean it isn't true. Um, so I don't know if that was it. But L- um, Linda, well, can I answer that question for you? Yes. Susan, the answer is yes. They have, they have tried to intimidate her, obviously. So the answer is yes. Uh, for some reason, they want to intimidate Linda because she's out there putting out things that don't that didn't fit their narrative, particularly at the time. Well, I asked that because, as I say, I said before, John Keel, author and researcher, called me after I wrote him a letter, and we set up a time to have a phone call. We talked on the phone for about an hour and a half, and. He seemed to be more interested in my ghost story that, and I wanted to just talk about UFOs. So I was like, well, I want to talk about UFOs and he wants to talk about my ghosts. I'm like, ghosts, big deal. Ghosts happen all the time. I want to talk about flying saucers. Anyway, we had a wonderful talk. I joined his, his group. Then after that phone call, and this was back in the old rotary days, mm-hmm. you know, landline days, my phone had a beeping sound on it for quite a while after I talked to John Keel. It was this intermittent sort of metallic little beep, beep. It sounded very far away. You know, remember how like the old phones used to sound? It sounded very far away. And it was just like, I was having a long conversation with a friend of mine and I was like, do you hear that? He was like, hear what? I was like, hear, I mean, you go through all this stuff and you think you're going crazy. I'm like, do you hear that beeping on my phone? And I don't remember if he said he heard it or not, but I clearly heard it. And it went on for a while and then it just eventually stopped. But it was really right at that moment after I made contact with John Keel that the, my phone started beeping. Susan, this is sounding like the French connection. That could have been Popeye Doyle on the other end of the line. I have, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I'll tell you what. Um, I, I really appreciate doing this. I am I, now ready to beg for a part two uh, because uh, this was so much fun. And I know Nathan, I've read Nathan's list of questions, and I mean, we could do an hour on those, so we really, is it possible we could get you back in the near future, Linda? Yes. Okay. Definitely. Excellent. I, I, <laughs> and here we go. Oh, wait a minute. What, am, what do I hear? I've lived <laughs> Sing it, Linda! Woo! <laughs> Life MMA in the NBA. And man, this has been a pleasure. Uh, Susan, uh, thank you. Please uh, tell people where to find you on Twitter and uh, your book, etc. In your work. Um, I'm Susan Fenston at Twitter. S U S A N F E N S T E N. And um, on Facebook, same. Uh, my book is a true crime book called You Have a Very Soft Voice, Susan. A shocking true story of internet stalking, and you can find that on Amazon. And thank you so much for having me. I so enjoyed this tremendously. Namaste, Susan. Okay? My light sees your light. I'm a yoga teacher. I don't know if you know that, Holmes. Yoga teacher. 
Nathan, um, it, you know, the questions you ask are just so brilliant. Like I could, I could literally want to have you on every single UFO show this podcast does. And actually, I've invited Nathan that this is uh, this is his home. If he wants to have a guest on, he's welcome. I'll set up the equipment. I'll record, and uh, and and we can uh, uh, have on whoever he wants to have on. Thank you very much, Nathan. <laughs> You're a gracious host, DJ. Thank you. I appreciate it. Linda Zimmerman, the legend. She did it her way, baby. New York. Woo! And, uh, well, thank you for having me, and I appreciate all of the great questions. And, yes, I'd be happy to come back. Truly, it was, it was an honor. Uh, it really is an honor to do a podcast and have really interesting people say yes i want to come on and talk to you and that's not something that uh that i take lightly so namaste i see the light in all of you thank you so much and uh for linda zimmerman for nathan and for susan this is dj san marco saying peace out one love and we'll see you down the road i find it bold